0: On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we sit down with Jack Miller, president and CEO of T360. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff in the Swanepoel Trends Report. Let's dive in. You talk about it privately. We talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome again to the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, James Dwiggins, along with my co-host, Keith Robinson, a.k.a. Crazy Uncle Keith.
1: What's up? Take it away, Key. Tell us, what are we going to be talking about? Today, we have Jack Miller from T360, and he's going to be unpacking some of the findings from the Swanepoel Trends Report and digging in with us on some of his observations about what is happening today and tomorrow in residential real estate.
0: That is the like Bible of trends in real estate. It's been going on for almost 20 years, I think, I mean, somewhere, somewhere around there. So uh, it's going to be awesome. Tune in. Jack, welcome to the show. We are super excited to have you here. Uh, for our audience and listeners, uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited to have Jack because I've known him a long time. Um, he is an industry veteran who has uh, more knowledge on this business, both historical and forward. Thinking view on it than most people I know in the business. Um, Jack, tell the tell the listeners a little bit about your background, just real quick, and we'll get into the more important stuff. But just a little bit of background on you and the company you work for, and some of that, so they have a little bit of context. Well,
2: Keith and James, first, uh, thank you for having me. It's always, yeah. always, I mean, we have great conversations outside of being on a podcast, so I'm really glad to be able to bring that into a podcast uh, with your audience. Uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm entering this is my 22nd year in the industry. Uh, I have work for a national franchisor and management. Uh, I've run, I've both owned franchises as well as uh, run an independent brokerage with some partners. I've sold real estate. I've kind of been, been in, d- done a lot of different jobs in the industry,
0: Yeah,
2: principally a technology person. I came out of technology industry. I worked for Dell and a few other startups in the nineties and then, um, was fascinated by real estate and was recruited into, you know, by Gary Keller and his team to build their national organization. And, nice. um, yeah, and then the last, uh, really the last 10 years, uh, I've worked closely with uh, Stefan Swanepoel and the T360 organization. We've, we've built a larger management consulting organization. Uh, We do a ton of trends research. Uh, I was just sharing before we got on that, you know, this is, we're on our 18th edition of the Swannable Trends Report.
0: Which is, Um, by the way, like, it's like the Bible of the future of the industry for those who have never actually spent time reading it. So it's, it's pretty, pretty damn amazing. We're going to cover some of that today as well. Yeah,
2: it's how I learned, it's how I learned where the industry was headed when we, when I ran an independent brokerage. Uh, was from the trends report, and I've I've written now for ten years of the trends report, and have been involved in the thinking and the whole group that does the research. So, um, so we got lots to share today. Uh, I'm excited to to dive right in.
0: Well, let's dive. I mean, let's let's just start there, right? So, you know, this is a report that I can say that you know I read every year, um, and have for I don't even know how long, probably since it's been coming out, um, and it's it's always fascinating to see all the things that, you know, here's the, here's the things we're watching. Here's the way things going to happen. What percentage of that stuff, by the way, cause I always listen to, you know, people talk about it came true. Like, do you guys have a track yeah. record of, like- that's really- yeah. <laughs> is there a
1: scorecard? I want the scorecard. Score
2: that's a great question. So, um, I think we are really strong at looking at what's going to happen and saying it's going to happen. Sure. Uh, the, the, the trick has always been how soon. Like sure. How soon. So that so there's a lot of things where it's like I, we wrote a lot about transaction management. We wrote a lot er, in the very early years. Stefan did a lot about the move to digital. Sure. And it's taken 20 years.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah. He
2: was writing about transaction management in '99 and saying, "Hey, this is gonna this this will become the way the industry works." And uh, honestly, it's probably been up until you know right just three or four years ago where it really felt like if you're in a national brokerage firm or a local firm, you probably have. A transaction management platform, platform. yeah. Business, so so. I think that's the trick. Um, I don't, I don't know that we're one hundred percent. But I think if we're not, uh, if we're not uh, pushing ourselves to challenge the thinking of the reader, we're not doing our job.
0: Well, so, you guys yeah. also do so much research to mm-hmm. to for the on these subjects. So I mean, like I, I know it's not just doing a little bit of stuff and then writing an article. I mean, you guys spend a long time, you yeah. know.
2: Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the difference between why we call it a, a trend, a trends report versus, you know, a blog or an article or news or whatever it is, is, is we every year we get our team together. Uh, and, and we have now about 40 people to work for us that consult in all different areas, MLS Association, technology, brokerage, franchise, recruiting events, like everything that touches the industry, we have business leaders that have been doing it for a long time, sure. And we ask them, what's impacting your customers right now? What do you see mm-hmm. coming? Like where you're working, they're all working with clients. We're talking to clients all the time. What do we see that's coming that, that, that uh, we think belongs on the executive agenda in real estate? And that's really, that's our filter is it's like, you know, if you are running uh, a brokerage company or a national organization or an MLS, like if you're an executive or on the management team, what do we think you should be aware of talking about building into your strategies and plans? And if it's not, if it's not at that level, then sure. we, don't. we don't put yeah. it in the report. And there's sometimes we'll have, like, we, we have um, had topics that we've said, it's not ready yet. doesn't belong on the executive agenda. It's not, it's not fully baked. It's not yet.
1: mature enough. Sure.
2: Sure sure. No. So we, yeah. we put it off. So that's what it is. And then there's about 2000 hours of research put into that. I think that's like a whole working year of research uh, across the research team that goes into the publication every year. And I, I just tell people look, um, you know, we we do not claim Now we're, we have to be smart to do this kind of research, but we don't claim to be smarter than the smartest executives in our industry are the executives in industry are really smart. But what it is, is we we dedicate that to the
1: hours, the
2: hours, hour. we go, Okay, yeah. look, we're, we're we, we know the industry, we, we've got some smart people to work for us. And then we tell them, go study hard. You know, lock yourself in a room and study hard on what we think is going to happen. And that's the difference. Is that with That's our, that's yeah. the job. That is the job that they do, which most industry executives, you know, you maybe have in your working year, I don't know, maybe 20 to 40 hours of research time that you can do over mm-hmm. the course of a year. You know, yeah, because
0: you're running a business. Yeah, yeah maybe
2: if you're right. 100, if you're really studious, but you yeah. only have so many hours to do research. Yeah. And to come up with your own perspectives, and so we just accelerate that by doing the research for people.
0: So let's dive in then. Give us—I mean, we got to. I want to dive into a lot of stuff. It's a very obviously, it's a very different time in real estate than it's been yeah. since the last downturn. So let's try to get through what you think are some of the most important trends that are going to affect even this year or beyond the real estate industry, and and then we'll. Dive deep into this stuff because I'd love to hear your take on it. So, yeah,
2: so I will. There's so I'll set a little bit of backdrop and then we'll take it to right now. Okay. Right? A little bit of backdrop. We're in the tenth, what we call the tenth stage of evolution of our industry. Of,
1: okay. Is our
2: industry. And that this sounds
1: is, fancy. Yeah. The tenth this phase, stage? So this phase
2: is acceleration. Acceleration. Hmm. The prior phase was capital. So, we had, we had about eight years where, you know, several billion dollars a year was coming into our industry capital. Yeah. New business models, all that kind of stuff. With a lot of money was being put into those. Uh, prior to that was an explosion of technology in our industry. You can see that in the early 2000s and sure. you know, IDX, Zillow, all yeah. that. Kind of stuff. Yeah. So the phase we're at now, we call acceleration because it just means things are happening faster. I mean, things are so that's kind of the the mega trend backdrop. And there's I could go through all the other all the other phases since the 1950s, but it's. Yeah, it's a little historical it. in purpose, yeah. but yeah. that's where we are. That's why things are moving so fast because we've had capital introduced on top of technology, and now it's just it's moving quick.
1: Jay, What's is that, that is that the good and the bad accelerating, or the I don't I don't want to put labels on things, but I mean, does that mean just everything across the board, the positive it, things, the negative things, the hard things, the easy things, everything it, is? It us.
2: mostly means that things that used to take a long time in this mm-hmm. industry to happen are happening much, much faster than they were before. And like- just in the last five years, in the last five years, guys, there's some huge things that happen. The, you know, for 18 year, 18 prior years, uh, to this year, NRT, you know, Realogy, Anywhere's brokerage company. Uh, I think it's, that's Anywhere Advisors now was the largest by every metric, mm-hmm. account, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happened in the last five years is it's flipped. It's it's no longer. And so it's come over 10 of the top 20 companies are companies that were founded after 2000. And so that's what acceleration looks like. And they're moving, they're moving up, up in terms of size. I mean, for a long time, you guys have been in the industry a long time Mm -hmm. for a long time. It's like, Hey, it's, it's going to be, you know, realogy now anywhere. It's going to be, Home Services, Berkshire Hathaway, they're they're the glides, and no one was even no. Everybody was missing a zero in terms of sales volume. They just (laughs) weren't even close to the hundreds of billions of dollars that these guys did. Now, that you know, that's all changed, and so that's 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 the that's the result. The acceleration.
1: You attribute that to technology. Like, why did it take us twenty years to get transaction management uh, software fully adopted, and now things are changed? What's that's a great question.
2: I I think that in the adoption of the internet and communications technology and really the the proliferation of the you know the the information age
1: mm-hmm. now
2: stuff doesn't just happen in one state
1: mm-hmm. it
2: now mm-hmm. goes national really it's quickly I mean, How many, yeah much how more many middle. national national publicly traded brokerages have been started in the last 6 years sure. it's, like, it's it's a lot of there and and there will be more if you're starting a thing and you're like i'm going to go big you don't hang out in one state for 20 years building. Right, anything. right, right, right. That's yeah, not scale,
1: how you scale. People, yeah, people
2: yeah. We're, we're able to scale more quickly now. Technology is a massive enabler, but so is capital. You know, those two things are are massive enablers. So that's kind of, those are mega trends that are kind of driving the action.
0: Do you think that there's some relevance to as I'm listening, to you talk about this—the fact that it was 2011, we hit bottom for realtor population at a million, roughly, and now we're at, you know, obviously 1.6, going to keep coming down a little bit now. But like that also drove part of this change. And, and I'm going to second that question with another piece that, and I, and this is just my personal opinion, but I feel like there's been a drive down in value by brokerages which then drives down comp and so it's like you see everybody talking about split all the time so i i i feel like there's been this a lot of these new companies coming on they're less expensive which drives more opportunity people go there because it's like okay i can make more money you can't have 1.6 million realtors doing the same amount of business and not have you know, might might make any sense here. Like, I feel like a lot of this might also have to do with the amount of people that came into the business that drove a lot of this change at the same time.
2: Some of that. I mean, when this is a this is a boom and bust industry, and we had a, just had a. We're just coming off a long boom. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. A long right. boom. and so you have a lot of people come in, and as you said correctly, James, there's going to be a lot of people over the next things. Are, I mean, I'm I'm watching. I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups. I'm things. I'm watching you oh, posted like it's
0: going to be huge.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's gonna, and there's some other things I'm sure we're going to talk about today that that will that will accelerate some of that. So it's a boom and bust industry, and when we're booming, um, money flows in, investments flow in, and new things get built quickly. Uh, and you know, and we're not the only one. This time, it wasn't just the brokerage industry building new stuff. It was the finance industry, it was mortgage servicing sure. it was sure. you know, all of that side said, Hey, we're going to put a bunch of money into developing infrastructure for real estate. And so that's all that that's, that, that's really in the prior uh, phase. That's what was the game changer sure. they yeah. showed up and said, you know what, we're going to make a lot of things a lot easier. And that stuff doesn't go away just because, you know, I buying didn't work, work out, right, right, right. 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 That, that stuff doesn't go, that stuff still got built. And yeah. it's still there, and will yeah. still be used, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. so that's that's that's
0: it. So let's dive in. Let's give us some give us some of the things that you're that you're watching. I'd, I'd love to hear your your view on, and we'll try to get through like the top five. Like,
2: yeah, top trend. Do. So top trend we wrote about in a trends report was the compensation lawsuits and their impact on how everybody gets everybody on the buy side gets paid, and it's it's going to influence everything. So regardless of the outcome of the lawsuit, how how much they go. To one side or the other, we think this is going to mean a change in how the, our industry talks about buyer compensation. It already has. I mean, yeah. NAR has already said, "Hey, we're going to concede a whole bunch of things to make the buyer commission more transparent." And I, we, from our research, we don't think that's done. We think there's going to be there's going to be more um, changes that are going to put right at the front how we talk to consumers about what a buyer's agent does and how they're compensated. And so, where buyer's agents are going to have to be a lot better at talking about what they do and how they get paid and how they're going to guarantee they get paid enough to make it worthwhile. Right. So, so to I put
0: you on the spot. Are you yeah. in the camp of you think they're going to, we're going to lose the lawsuits or win the lawsuits, if you can answer that? Um, or somewhere in, the tough, I'll you an out, a, somewhere in the it's middle. That's a tough
2: call. <laughs> it's a tough call. I would uh, say I'm trending that. There will be there will be some losses in these lawsuits. I don't think we'll. I don't think they're going to win on all counts. But I think there's some. I think there's some areas where the industry is not going to fare well. well
0: and, and where do you think and, it ends up? Separation of comp is that. Do you think that's going to be a world where buyers there, are comp? Buy, okay. Great
2: question. There's a spectrum of results, right? Yeah. And I think we've well crossed over. The the, the one end of the spectrum is just better disclosure that's required on the front end. Which says, they
0: should be doing anyway, by the yeah. way. If, I mean, like yeah. everybody should be getting an exclusive contract with the buyer. If you right. can't ask them for it or convince right. them to do it, then get a new job. Like you right. need to think better about it. Yeah. So,
2: so yeah. That's, that's, that that I feel like is a given. I yeah, think it's right. foregone
0: mandatory conclusion.
2: Mandatory or, disclosure on the front
0: end. Some like, states already required anyway. Yeah, some so and,
2: yeah. and, 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 I'll, and I think that's less scary. Still requires you to talk about your compensation on the front end. You still have to clarify that. And then i think on the far end of the spectrum is hey everybody pays for their own services so seller pays their agent for their services buyer pays their- that's pretty extreme and as you know you we all know creates a lot of pressure on first-time home buyers or demographics that just they can't afford to pay out of right. pocket for the services they need it financed in order to do the transaction so i i'm I believe and I think we believe from our research we're going to land towards that end of the spectrum but where sellers are still able to offer compensation in order to make their to sell the home because they if you're selling to a first-time home buyer demographic yeah. then you're going to need to offer to cover totally. Some, uh,
1: you, if you have that yeah, yeah, if you have that first trade-up listing, right? Yeah. Where you bought your first-time home buyer house and now you're ready to trade up to the next one.
2: But you, but it does mean on the buy side either yeah. either buyers agents are just going to need to accept lower comp, just accept it, or they're going to get better at talking about what they do and how they earn the money that they are paid with their clients so that their clients will make them make them whole or pay them what they're worth on their side of the transaction if not enough money is offered by
0: the seller. Do you and- think that do you think that NAR should be focusing on legislative changes to allow the buyer's agent compensation to be financed in the loan?
2: I I think they're going to, I think that's a foregone conclusion. I think that, I think that's a foregone conclusion. I think there will have to be financing changes in order to enable first time home buyers or eligible buyers. They don't have the income in order to pay an agent out of pocket in order to finance that. I think we're Mm going to have to do it. Uh, I think it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think we do it now. I mean, it's part of the it's part of the cost of doing business now. So it's really not a net change. But in this scenario, it, they would need to pass some additional rules to allow that. I don't think the banks want to do it. But I think they I think that's something that could be lobbied for. yeah,
0: well, know, that's my point. It's like we've got plan A, and yeah. you know, Katie and her team are doing an amazing job of trying to fight these suits. And I'm sitting here going, and I think, you know, I said this on that stage at the at the event was like, you know, hope is not a strategy. We need a plan B right. and C which is, okay, how do we position our industry so that if these things did occur, right. that the agent you know can do a better job of articulating value. And then there's ways for the buyer, which could be, to Keith's comment, we've talked about this privately as well, like the mm-hmm. seller can still <laughs> offer the ability to do that. And it's going to be very interesting, by the way, but Just and I don't want to stick on this topic too long, but how the agent has that conversation with the seller to say, you can offer compensation Right. but I can't. And like that, that's a whole change in conversation. Yeah. They're going to have to get used to, yep. which I feel like there's going to be potentially some gray area there that could get mm-hmm. into trouble. So I'm just, as I think through this, I'm just kind of going, what does this new world look Every,
2: like? Everybody's going to need some, some uh, retraining on, and yeah. retraining on how mm-hmm. to do And we've done, we've done a good job. Our listing agents do a great job of saying, here's all the things I do. Here's how I earn. Here's how I earn what I get paid. I'm just not done it with the buyer's agents.
1: Right. So well. I, I'm not even sure I believe this, but I'll just take this side for the auspices of a thoughtful discussion. I mean, aren't, look, isn't the industry relative, like if you have a willing buyer and a willing seller, it usually works out. Right. Like, so I know we get paid to worry. That's all of our jobs. Right. And so that's fine. But isn't some percentage of this just smart people hand-wringing about there will be changes in how this happens. But if you have a willing seller and a willing buyer, it's going to work itself out. Yeah, I don't think I'm. I'm not questioning that. I just
0: I think, and Jack, you can step in here. I just I don't think our industry is prepared to ask for compensation, and I think you'll see pressure on commissions, which will affect MLS's sure,
1: association But they will no, figure it, it but out.
2: Keith, it's not it's not the fall that kills you.
1: Yeah, well, it's hitting the ground.
2: It's when you hit the ground. That's what. <laughs> yeah. you know, that, because we have 1.6 million agents, and probably well, no, there'll uh, be
1: fewer from, of them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Of those, uh, on the buyer agent side, I w- I will make the assertion that the vast majority of them have not been trained to discuss their value proposition. And well, the, what do
1: you mean by buyer's agent, though? Most the agent, that works, agents...
2: agent that principally works with buyers, where the a significant portion of their business is working with
1: buyers. So, so usually that's newer, right? So usually, I mean, or or, or mean, big teams, or yeah. big teams. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're a buyer's agent on a team, but I mean, the teams control the lead flow, I guess it just I feel like this gets so much attention and it should. I'm not I understand the impact of all of this, but I also think that there's been so many tidal waves that have come at this industry. But usually what it boils down to is the human being who wants to buy it and the human being who wants to sell it. And we try to do all these things to make it more complicated and get in the way of it or tweak it or change it, whether it's internally or externally through rules, regulations and all of the other stuff. But magically, we always find a way if yeah. there's a willing yeah. buyer and a willing seller, it works itself out. I've
2: got one one final point on this. So uh, we had some, the Canadians had some similar challenges in Ontario and they okay. had they had to change some rules and i talked to them about it and i said how was it because they have to do the disclosure on the front end and the fees and all this kind of stuff they have to talk about their their value proposition mm-hmm. and um and i talked to the brokers there and they said oh my gosh it was like a year of, of freak out while we all got used to it and then we got used to it and we moved on
0: mm-hmm. and so i think
2: your point is valid yeah yeah your yeah. point is valid but it's going to take this one there's a lot of people in this industry yes And that's a big, and that's, it's, it isn't so much that it's such a, it's, it's not. I
1: guess I, I hear, I hear this topic getting talked about the numbers in the industry and the people in it and almost like it's causal instead of correlative. Right. And, and it is, I don't believe necessarily that it says cause. like we needed to shake up in the agent count anyway anyway and and the downward pressure yeah. on the market will shake some people out and this will shake some people out yep. and the you know the inability to process the pace of change or or the acceleration i think is the, is the yeah. your your internal buzzword for it, right <laughs> like all of that will will be part I, of
2: I, it. I, by the way i've never thought it was bad for the industry
0: right right. yeah he right. didn't I, say that actually I and know. i
2: this is bad for the industry because those who remain Will be better salespeople,
0: but yeah. but but what does that look? like? I mean let's let's keep going. We got a lot of stuff to cover. Does that cause? Does it cause consolidation in your opinion? Not just agent count. I'm talking about holistically the brokerage industry, MLSs, yeah. associations. Oh, of course. Okay, of course, of course, it so, does.
2: Because if you if you're an organization that is good at becomes good at this, you will attract people from organizations that are not, yeah. and it'll even it will drive consolidation. Actually, also in MLS because they they're not going to have the resources. If you're a small MLS. You don't have the resources to fight off a lawsuit. And so you don't want to, you want to be part of a bigger team that gets it done. Right.
0: All right. So let's put a bow on this thing. Basically yeah. change is coming, learn by learn how to ask, learn how to articulate your value to a buyer, which ironically is not hard to do. If yeah. you think about how much work goes into it, <laughs> right. get a contract signed to work exclusively. Yeah. Uh, and as, there's going to be some changes and we'll figure out to Keith's comment. And I agree with him. He and I have this conversation a lot, by the way, I'm mm-hmm. um, um, very different perspectives, but you know, that there will be an end where it's probably some consolidation, but the but the, the I think at the end the, the agents that are here will be better and will be able to articulate value better and I think the industry
1: will become more professional. So yeah, it'll be the um, it'll be the wild west for eighteen months. They'll be the quick and the dead, right? Sure. Those who adopt quickly and the rest will go away. All right. Let's go to the next one. What do you got?
0: One,
2: so we're looking at what's happening in the MLS industry a lot right now. And this is another one where you know, an overnight success takes 10 years, 15 years, <laughs> maybe 15 years in this industry, but it it takes some time. And most brokers, a lot of agents are not aware, but there's been a not just consolidation, you know, MLS is coming together, although that's still happening. There's that's still going on. I think this the trend we just talked about is going to drive some of that. Sure. At the same time, a lot of these large, larger, mid-sized to large MLSs have been learning how to work together to share data to share services to create a, a better value proposition. Because as as smaller, mo- you know, most MLSs are actually very small companies, they're right. like, run on a few million dollars, yeah. than most of them, and it's just yeah. not enough money to deliver the kind of services that you can do at, if you're a, at a larger scale, right. And so there's been a lot of work happening in the background, uh, with between MLSs, to make it possible to do, uh, you know, to have access to a broader array of data. To do your searches over a larger area to set up your clients to do searches over a lar- larger area to have access to you know better customer support more products that kind of thing so that's been happening and it's it's reaching a boiling point now where we're seeing these national collaborations there's over nine hundred thousand uh agents and realtor members that are involved with an mls that has some kind of collaboration with other large mls's that's either a data share shared services shared technology shared backbone something like that that is is moving us towards. I, I'm not going to say a national MLS, but I might say things like national IDX,
0: sure. or
2: uh, or maybe a, a a very very large area over which you get to use a front end of choice, and maybe you can do you know, like you work primarily in New J- New York and New Jersey, but you also work with your customers down in Florida. Yeah, because you have customers that are moving down there and you can set them up on searches and help them, you know, find and then So the really scarcity
0: mindset is starting to go away a little bit. Basically, it's more bit. about abundancy and thinking about how we can collaborate and work closer bit. together. Yeah, so
2: that's a, that's a big one. We're we're, we're tracking that one. Um, There's
0: also a lot of money coming out of MLSs. I mean, they're investing in a lot of stuff like yeah. actual companies. They're dumping yeah. money into being an investor in, in prop tech, which more, is I found interesting, yeah. too.
2: So, yeah, more and more. Yeah, that, that's, the other part. that's one of the collaborations is a lot of the MLSs are getting together and saying, Hey, let's let's pool our resources yeah. and use that to um, acquire or build strategic technology so we can control our destiny a little bit more. And it's already been happening again, these are things the average broker doesn't know about doesn't know about doesn't know a lot of the MLSs that you're running on today. The MLS has already taken back the database. They run the database on their own systems and they're doing that. You're just using the front end provided by CoreLogic, yeah. Paragon or whatever. Right. So that that's the that that's happening. So that's going to continue to happen. I think that's a good thing. That is better services, larger service areas. I mean, we've got forty nine MLSs here in Texas. It's too many.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <nice>. To do <laughs> business
2: here in Central Texas, I got to join seven. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: Everything's no. bigger in Texas, even I G-MLS feel like count. This is a conversation as long as I've been in the business. where We've been talking about consolidation. When I started, it was like a thousand. We're down to what below six hundred now. So it's been yeah, it's like five
1: progress, five twenty six, I think. Yeah. So yeah. right around. Right, right. And really, the for the person who's doing transactional real estate or owning and operating a brokerage, the biggest impacts is going to be, you're going to have more tools than you've ever had from your local MLS. Right? Like it's, they're going to either have to get better, bigger and better, or they're going to go away too, similar to the agent conversation we just had.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so So that's, that's another one. I I would be remiss if we didn't touch on kind of the macroeconomics and housing inventory and supply and all that. that. sure. I I follow a lot of people, on Twitter who are real idiots about this stuff. <laughs> there are some just I, I can't believe ignorant conversations happening mm-hmm. online about you know it, it's on like,
1: Twitter? On really? Twitter, imagine that. <laughs> not, <laughs> never happened.
2: Rooting, they're rooting for a housing crash.
1: People rooting
2: right. for a housing crash. And it's like, you know what, those are bad. Like that's not something we don't want that level of price instability in the market. I understand affordability is an issue. Like, that's that's not what I'm talking about. But people rooting for you know a 25 or 30 percent they're like we want to do 2008 all over again i'm like you're yeah. crazy that
1: destroyed yeah.
2: economy. we've never recovered we've not actually not recovered from that
1: we're still yeah, there are better ways to solve the affordability problem yeah, than that exactly.
2: sort of 100%. Again. yeah 100 so so just if you're listening you know these are important facts uh we have still not recovered from the prior great recession in terms of building enough houses for the demographics that want to buy houses we're just mm-hmm. nowhere near there's still more demand than there is supply, even, even at the higher interest rates. There's still more demand, and you can see it. I mean, I, and you know, we're recording this in early May. Uh, go, go look at some of the charting of prices and price. There's there are areas where we're in a price recovery now, where prices are coming back up. There's yep. offers, and and I'm not again. It's this isn't to say. Woohoo! we're in multiple offer situations, again, in some markets, it's to say that the market is not in a situation that it's so fragile, it's gonna fall off a cliff and everybody should just hang out and wait for the end times. That's right. not where we are today. That's yeah. just right. not it. And that people, and that fundamentally, what we've done is we've returned to a baseline of people that need to sell their homes because they need to move. Uh, they've had, uh, had jobs
0: change. Mm-hmm.
2: They've had mm-hmm. like, these are all fundamentals. This is returning to the fundamentals of why people move. They had a baby, uh, they're getting divorced, they're doing all those things. Those are still going to happen. We're going to have four, four and a half million transactions happen that are based on needs that people have. Mm -hmm. In our industry, you can go out and make plenty of money working with those people. And that's what's to get tuned in on. And who cares that we had a six and a
1: half million? peak of outlier by the way an outlier a wild outlier yeah who
2: cares yeah Yeah, who cares and so this is so the message is it's back to basics is pay attention to your network pay attention to what's happening going on don't believe the doom and gloom we still we we, there there's plenty of opportunity here and i I
0: just so question for you i had this i was on an investor called not for not yeah, for anything other than I do a bunch of stuff sometimes for wall street people. And they were asking, when do we get to the 6.1 million units again? I was like, uh, never, uh, never really. <laughs> like, right. We're so far off from that. Like yeah. that's a very one-off situation. So let me, let me phrase the question differently than Jack. When do we get back to our normal 5.3, roughly 5.3 million units that we do annually? Do you think it's 2024, 2025? No. What's your, what's your thoughts?
2: I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll do my best. So <laughs> <laughs> My sense of it is, um, we're in an election cycle right now, and yeah, that's where we are. I think we are going to be in this kind of a market right now, uh, all the way up through the election, because what people, what businesses want, and what people want is stability. Clarity. They want mm. clarity. They want certainty. They want to know what is going to what. What are the policies? How you know? Hey, it, it isn't about I do or do not like whoever's rules. I just want to know what the rules are. Right. right, and if you know what the rules are. You can plan, and I think businesses want that clarity. I think you know, employers want that clarity. Employee, everybody wants that clarity. So I think we're going to be in a in a market a like right now for for probably until until I the election that. until it's like yeah. here's what's going to happen yeah. unless something crazy cataclysmic happens.
1: Oh, don't say that. Just I, like, know, I know. Yeah, Just I've, say got it. a, right. I've got a I've got a follow up that I hear a lot, and I'm curious your thoughts or if you've got research behind it. But this. uh, this concept that people are now interest rate stuck in their home, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone has 3% and rates are five and a half or six and a half or whatever they happen to be, that I think it's probably true. Some percentage won't sell, right? Maybe because the math doesn't line up, but how much do you think that is a uh, forward, pressing issue or determinant for really why question. someone makes a well, someone yeah, home the, decision.
2: The, the low interest rates caused people to move their purchasing up to take advantage of the rates mm-hmm. it caused them to be a little bit more opportunistic i know you know you guys have people probably know people that worked in second home markets that did incredibly well during that period because it's like yep. hey i can get a low rate and buy a second home in a place i like to visit and a lot of people bought a lot of people bought homes to do airbnb with Right. And it was opportunistic. It was opportunistic yeah. because of the rates. So I I, I think that that, obviously, that opportunism, the opportunism is out of the market. It, right. moved, it probably moves transactions up or created some some yeah. level of demand. I'm not going to say it's a huge level, but some level of demand. Sure. Like, oh, I can, if I can get money for cheap, I'm, I'm going to use it. Right. So it probably did some of that. So I, but I think the fundamentals of, I'm downsizing. I don't mm-hmm. need a house this big. Right. And it's mostly paid for anyway, right? Or I'm in mean, like there's I, I don't I think I think people will if their life situation changes materially. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the inter- interest rates are that huge of an obstacle. I agree. Um, there there will be some people that say I'm just going to stick here because I'm I'm just stuck on that, but I think most people are not looking at their interest rate every day and thinking mm-hmm. about it. Most people are thinking about their life. They're
1: thinking I think about I I agree with you. I think it'll be the stated reason more sure. often than it's the actual reason, yeah. right? The actual reason is the timing in the life hasn't arrived yet, that's but right. it's just sexy to brag about my 2.9% interest rate that I've got. <laughs> right. Like, like You, you yeah. just can't help yourself. If stuff. that's yeah. sexy. Wow. Uh, These people need a life. Cause that's, they not, do. that's not. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. yeah. That's I think cool. that that's a really good point that I want to put a flag on though. That pull forward effect. Right. We, you know, we'd usually do 5.3. We did 6. Point, whatever million uh, that's. That's a million transactions more that would have probably happened later were interest rates, uh, you know, people working from home at a rate that they've never, like, there was sort of this collision, this uh, colliding of external forces that pulled a bunch of deals forward in the timeline. Totally. Now we're experiencing, you know, the They they made their
0: move. You know, obviously we all know the pandemic obviously played into that as well. All right. Mm. We got, I want to get, we got about five minutes. I want to get a couple more in here, Jack. So give us a number four and and five on your on your thoughts. So, so.
2: I, I think the other one we wrote about in this year's uh, report, we talked about what's happened in the technology space. So we gorged, we gorged on technology <laughs> during the boom time. We really did. We gorged on it. People bought all kinds of stuff. There were a lot of companies that, you know, probably in a tighter market wouldn't have come into existence. And what we're, we're going to the, the technology demographic in our industry, the service providers that serve it, they're going through the same contraction right now. Mm-hmm. And they're having some of the same pain, it's a little different for them. But it's it's not, you know, materially, they're connected to the industry. And uh, I think right now is where people are uh, reevaluating their technology, what they really need, what really works for them. Uh, and so uh, we, we we're calling it like the the day after the party's over.
1: And, <laughs> you mean the hangover? <laughs>
2: yeah, you need to clean up a little bit, and so yeah. that's that's a that, that's again that's another trend we're seeing. We're talking to a lot of brokerages and some large teams that we do work with that are um, looking at how they uh, how they work with their tech. So that's that's a that's a a, a, a trend currently
0: You think there's going to be a lot of consolidation? Is that kind of what you're hinting at? Absolutely,
2: it's already. Ha- I mean, it's already happened. We had some right. of it happen during the peak of the market, mm-hmm. and now we're seeing a lot of the you know the companies didn't quite get to their profitability, didn't quite get to the level of, of of revenue they needed to. They're doing a down round in financing. They're talking to their peers, and saying, "Hey, maybe we team up and." merge and, and build a bigger, well, or we sell, you know,
0: certainly, so. certainly venture capital got really tight, especially after and we had a whole episode on this, but especially on Silicon Valley bank and everything <laughs> that happened after the fact. So, um, yeah. you know, I think it reminds me a little bit of 2000 and I want to say like eight, nine, when, you know, after the market completely shifted, every brokerage was like cut everything that we do not absolutely <laughs> need. And there was a lot of consolidation in the space, which probably, you know, to your point, it's needed because there's so much prop tech there. That's just like, I like to look at it. Keith and I have these conversations where it's like, is this a need to have or a nice to have? And then what does this actually contribute to our, you know, our bottom line? uh, and, And certainly, you know,
1: All of my peers are certainly having those discussions. Zach, how would you advise an owner of a brokerage, big or small, who's trying to evaluate technology in the, this space right now? Like, give us like a couple sentences. Yeah. A
2: few things, a few things to do. Um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, do an inventory, Mm -hmm. just do an inventory and go, go through, see what you got, see what you're paying for it. Uh, and then look at utilization. How much Mm -hmm. is it being used? Um, and is it something that you know? Is it a, a core tool? Do you just have a few people using it? You know, like get a get an,
1: a, a sense of, of the lay of the land, uh, a real land. lay of the land.
2: Yeah, get a sense of the lay of the land. So that, we always tell people start with that, um, and then you know we recommend then looking at you know what is the if it's not being used, find out why it's not being used. Mm. Is it not being used because it's just a was kind of an experiment? You didn't put your full weight behind it, or it's not a very good tool, or not a very good product. Or do you need to just should it get used more? And now you need to really get people into training and because right. it adds some efficiency in your business and it is a good tool. Like like really determine the reason why a piece of technology is not working in your business. I think there's a real urge. People come to us and they're kind of mm-hmm. coming to us just for permission to throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> and we have this and it's and they'll name like a top tier technology company everybody would know. They'll say we've got this and we just want to get rid of it. And we're like. Mm. People like that in other yeah. companies and yeah. they get the heck out of it. And we don't understand why you want to throw it out. So help us understand
0: how yeah. The- yeah. And yeah. Yeah. you
2: and are you communicating about it? so so I think you need to give it a good now's a good time to do a good hard look. Get rid of your old stuff, get rid of your home built stuff that's not serving you very well get rid of that one thing where you've got two agents that just love it, but yeah. you know, they, they <laughs> yeah. don't love it enough where they pay for it themselves and you're yeah. just paying for it for them because you, you don't want to piss them off. Right. Have that conversation. Right, yeah. right. Right. If they love it so much, get them to lead. Pay for it. Yeah. Sure. Lead. Yeah, you know, lead. Yeah, got to yeah, lead. Sure. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of the, the mindset, but find out why it's not working and then make a decision and pull the that's trigger. You, pull
0: okay. Trigger. All
2: right. You're going you get the money back.
0: What's the last one? What's the other one?
2: So I think, I think, gosh, I've got so many I want to talk to you guys about. So we, we write about brokers' business models a lot. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about it earlier that, um, you know, there's a, there are some of these new companies, like 10 of the top 20 companies are kind of newer companies in the industry. And, um, we're, and that, that trend appears to be continuing, you know, where those companies are going to continue to get bigger and more powerful um, because they've been built on the new stuff. Then with a, maybe a different business model, maybe a leaner, meaner business model. We think the middle is going to continue to get squeezed, right? And then this is going to show up different places. If you're a high value model where you do a lot of stuff for your agents, and you got a lot of value you deliver. Very hands on. You know, you run as a kind of a, a boutique or a, you know you you do you do things for agents that really helps them get business done. Really helps them close transactions, do more deals, all that kind of stuff. I think you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. That
1: works. Mm-hmm. You
2: just mm-hmm. charge for that value, yeah. Uh, whether it's referral fees or, or you know, your split or your comp plan. You charge for that value, and people stick around because they want the good stuff. They want yeah. great marketing. They mm-hmm. want the support. They, they want it. They're willing to pay for it because they don't want to do it, and they don't want to hire somebody to do it. It's just not their skill set. So yep. you know, yep. that's fine. And on the other end of the spectrum, you're inexpensive to operate. People could come in, they could do transactions at a low fee. There's not a lot of services, but they're mostly self sufficient. Like mm-hmm. that model works. Like that yep. and those companies are growing very, very fast right now. I think it's the middle where people haven't really picked like we're gonna be inexpensive one
1: or the other. You know, yeah,
0: transaction.
2: Or or we're gonna be value, full service. You know, value yeah. full service based. We're gonna we're gonna charge for the value we supply. And but there's a spectrum in there. I'm not trying to
1: black
2: and white. But you, you really need to have an orientation to the business and say, you know what, we're going to do two or three things really well, mm-hmm. and we're going to charge for it in our compensation plan, right? Like, that's an important stand to make. Say, look, we're good at marketing. We're good at transaction support. Uh, we're good at generating referral leads for our agents. Like, we're going to do those three things really well, and people are going to pay
0: us for that, right?
2: Great. That's awesome. Go do that and do mm-hmm. it more right? Mm-hmm. Because it's the, it's the middle where it's a little fuzzy, where the agents trying
0: are, to be everything to everybody. I'm not yeah. sure
2: what value I'm getting. And yeah. I feel like I'm overpaying. Mm-hmm. I could get less here. Cause you're, if you're in the middle, you're going to get eaten by the high value people who are going to give people all that service.
1: You're going to get eaten by both sides
2: and yeah, by the yeah, people yeah. they are saying I'm transactional and inexpensive. You don't have to pay me very much money. You can run your business over here. And, you know that that's the challenge. I think is people need to position.
0: So a lot of the it's a great comment because I think I think it's fair to say a lot of the the old guard fits in that middle spot and there are yeah there's there's a lot of and there we all you know they're all being picked at currently by some of these other companies as it is. I think it's interesting. I it's funny because I've always told people, um, you know, if if you lead with your comp, there's always going to be somebody cheaper in the market. Yeah. And, I, and as an industry I've always found that to be very true because if if somebody only joins you because of your comp they're gonna leave because they'll be a better comp and I, I, and I mean this just from a historical perspective I just worry that that's a track that makes the industry less professional. it's my own personal view but it's it it's interesting to your comment though that it's like you can see it. The companies that do value really well, they charge higher splits and agents are happy to pay for it. So they're like, I find value in this. And then there's, you know, it's, they lead with whatever this we're, we're just a, uh, you know, you can see it when agents go, the first question they ask is what's the split. It's like, yeah.
2: it's you're in the wrong, you're, you're typically in the wrong conversation with that. Right. Yeah. You can soup, you can really see it with the teams, which I think the the teams that provide a lot for their team members, they're at the extreme end of the value service scale. Yeah, and it yeah. shows up there, they're, uh, you know, their return on revenue. It can be 18 to 25% versus a broker who's doing lucky to be doing seven.
0: Right. Yeah. If
2: you're doing yeah. 7%, amazing right you're doing really well but these teams are getting 20% 25% return on revenue because of how much they provide because of all the support and the leads and referrals and all yeah. that driving into their system so you can see it in an extreme where it's like they're doing quite well and have have that that's now you got to have capital to do it but they're doing it well
0: mm. do you think that there's going to be a movement and we'll wrap up with this do you think there's going to be movement more towards virtual do you think all of these brokerages are going to have to rethink their their overhead
2: um, I don't really think that. I think that okay. virtual, I think virtual is a tool in everybody's tool bag now. I mean, we all went virtual during the right.
0: pandemic. <laughs> and,
1: we all got and, that and, exercise. And,
2: and yeah. for some companies, it it works well because of the nature of how they communicate, and the nature
0: yeah. of
1: their
2: leadership, all that. Yeah. Stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's a tool everybody has access to. Uh, there are still, like I talked to Michael Saunders, who was at, uh, at our- She's
0: awesome. Summit. Yeah.
2: Amazing, and yeah. she's like, you know what? We are all about being together. We're all yeah. about people in offices, and the 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 brokerage that I ran here in Austin with our with partners, we we were about being together, and yeah. we had people come every day in every day. It was a magical learning environment. You you every day you probably learned what an agent learns in you know in two, in in ten weeks, right? Because it was <laughs> it was a it was a just a we were all talking to each other all the time, listening to each other's phone calls, and so that in person magic. If that's your jam. And yeah, I think that's still stick with it. Still, a, still cool. a great proposition. There, yeah. there's agents that thrive in that, and they're they they do not want to be trapped in their home office. They want to be out and with people. So I, th- I think that I think virtual's a tool for everybody. People are using it at different levels. I don't think it means that every model that comes in has got to be virtual. You may have it as a component. You may use it. Right. But, right. but to the degree it fits your culture, your value proposition, your your business model, the way you do things, I think varies a lot. This is an industry. We got a lot of options on the shelf for AIDS. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of different there's a lot of different flavors for everybody. And so said
1: another, yeah. another way, I, I think, and I'm echoing what you said, I think. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I, I think it will be more virtual, right? Yes. It's it's we it's not yeah. binary. It's not yeah. virtual or brick and mortar. I think you will find this experience where the brick and mortar is becoming more virtual and the virtuals are doing more get together physically, let's yeah. hang out, yeah. let's spend yeah. time, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I think I think there are some things fundamentally on virtual, and uh, it, if you tip it over onto the staff side, mm-hmm. one thing we've learned is, oh, your admin support doesn't have to be in your office in your town. You can right. do a lot of admin support centralized somewhere else that's less expensive. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people using, um, you know, Teams in Nicaragua and South America and the Philippines. Philippines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, We're seeing, yeah. we're seeing, And you know, does your does your uh, you know director of marketing have to come into the office every day? Could they be remote if they're really talented and skilled? Mm-hmm. Does your your creative team need to be there? Probably not. Does your transaction coordination need to be there? Probably not. So there's, so I think people will absolutely leverage that because I'm sorry, it's super cost effective. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It Allows brokerages have thin margins already. If you can, yeah. if I can take a sixty five thousand dollar person and I can get the same level of service and support for twenty five thousand dollars, I'm doing it. Yeah,
0: totally. Like, right. doing it.
2: It's just it's just yeah. how you get more efficient.
0: Yep. So Jack, this has been awesome. Uh, you know, really insightful. Uh, and for everybody out there, uh, we'll have a link to uh, the trends report for you guys to to uh, to get a copy of if you want to do that and just grab a bottle of wine and dig deep because it'll take you a while to get through it. There's some <laughs> heady shit in there, but you know, it's uh it's pretty amazing. But Jack, thanks for being on our show today. We really appreciate yeah. it. It was uh we'll have to have you back and and share more of that those viewpoints. So It's
2: been an absolute pleasure. And and, uh, uh, James and Keith, thank you so much for inviting me. Of course.
0: Thanks, Jack. Yes, we want you to subscribe to this podcast. But the good news is, if you subscribe now, you'll never have to subscribe to any other podcast ever again.